Welcome back. This is New York's longest-running sports call-in show. This is one-on-one. I am Andrew Posadas alongside Chris Hennessy, and it's my pleasure to bring in our next guest. It's time to talk some hoops, a a lot to get into, a senior host at Sports Illustrated on the radio Saturday mornings from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on CBS Sports Radio. He's also the host of Full Court on Flatbush, a Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post alongside former NBA player Carrie Kittles, Robin Lundberg. Robin, welcome to the program. Appreciate you coming on and joining us. You got it. No problem. What's going on? Not much. I, I want to get into the Brooklyn Nets first because James Harden, he made a statement the other night after the Brooklyn Nets win uh, where he flat out said, I am the MVP. And when we think about this MVP race right now, Robin, there are so many names and so many players jockeying for position, uh, Jokic, Embiid, LeBron, Damian Lillard. But for, for someone like James Harden, how much validity do you think there is in the momentum James Harden is currently getting in the MVP race? And do you think it's realistic that he could win it given that, you know, he hasn't played with KD and Kyrie much this season? Well, I mean, I think he is the MVP right now. Uh, Le- LeBron would have um, probably – LeBron's my default MVP almost every single season. There are a couple of years in there I would have given it to somebody else. Uh, um, but Le- LeBron's value is going to be on display right here with, with the stretch with, where he's out. But at some point, he misses too many games. And, and I think that's the problem with, with his injury if he's out for weeks in what was already a close race. Uh, Nikola Jokic has a hell of a case. He, he's been awesome. This year, he leads the Nuggets in, in basically every statistical category. But if you look at the word value and and take James Harden, the Rockets lost 20 games in a row. I know people don't like the way he left Houston. No, I haven't seen one person go, I like the way James Harden left Houston. Uh, but he lost. they lost 20 games in a row, 22 out of 23. Meanwhile, he goes to Brooklyn, and I didn't think anybody on that team could be the MVP because you had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But the circumstances are, are what they are. And what felt like a luxury has become a necessity. And you look at the, the sample since he got to Brooklyn, I think there's something like 24 and seven with him in the lineup. I'm not, I might be off by a game or two, but it's right there. They've won 17 of 19 or 18 of 20 games he's played in. All but one of those has come without Kevin Durant. Uh, a handful of those have come without Kyrie Irving. And you take into account just the numbers he's putting up, 26 points a game, eight boards, 11 and a half assists, leading the league in assists. And what you see in front of you watching them play, I don't know how you, you see one team go like this, another team go like this, and just specifically the, the level he's played at, where I think he's been the best player in the NBA since he got to Brooklyn, and, and, and he doesn't have an MVP case. I mean, at, at, at that point, you're just being petty and, and kind of holding what, what happened in, in Houston against him as some sort of, disqualifying event where his case is really strong yeah uh this week of course was the trade deadline and the nets didn't do anything on deadline day but we've seen blake griffin's uh brooklyn career uh get a little bit of a start here how what have you seen from blake griffin so far and how will he be valuable to this team on a championship run yeah i I think well look um the nets have a certain level of identity where they they tend to play small most of the game they've still been starting with deandre jordan but nick claxton has been playing really really well for them um, and he gives them some defensive versatility. And I think Blake can play the four, but can play the small ball five. And and he, he's been moving well defensively. He's been getting into positions, taking charges and all that. 
And, and clearly, we've already seen he, he dunked on his first basket. He caught a lob from Harden last night. He still has some of that that bounds. So, I mean, I think it was he was injured. He was in basically NBA purgatory, and now he's revitalized. The one thing I think, you know, so he'll give him some scoring punch off the bench. Um, they've been playing through him off the bench. But the one thing I think that I wasn't quite accounting for, and I've seen the last couple of games, uh, he plays with a certain level, of, a certain attitude um, where it can, he, he's feisty, which could be annoying, could get under other teams. You know, Dwight Howard's been an agitator for the teams he's been on in, in recent years, the, the Lakers last year, the Sixers this year. Uh, I could see Blake Griffin bringing that sort of role to the Nets as, as well as what he can do as an individual talent. And it's not exactly something they had. They didn't have that kind of guy who likes to mix it up and, and maybe he's going to really rub the other team the wrong way. So I, I think in addition to the, the skill set that, that Blake provides, that's a role he might have on the team too. And Robin, when I think about the Nets and the term scary hours, that's really what's been coined by James Harden. And for this team, when they are at 100%, do you see anybody in the NBA that has a chance to beat them in a seven-game series? The Lakers would be the only team I'd say, uh, you know, could because they could put Anthony Davis at the five and then I'll never doubt LeBron James. Never going to do it. Um, but I think LeBron's injury is a pretty big deal. Uh, I think, you know, AD's injury, obviously a pretty big deal. Um, and we have to see those guys get back out there and, and back out there healthy. And even if they are healthy, I'm, I'm you know, when you say chance, I, I don't know if they're the favorite in that series. I, I think that the Nets are the should be the favorites to win the championship this year um, based on talent and uh, the level of those three players that have been put together based on depth. It's not just those three guys on that team that you got other players who are of value. Once you brought Griffin in since Claxton has emerged, Joe Harris, Jeff green, you know um, it, it's not just those guys. And then the circumstances that have transpired elsewhere with, with uh, LeBron and, and AD both going out. Yeah. I think the, the nets are the clear and definitive NBA title favorites right now. I want to get a little bit more into the Lakers because we obviously mentioned the two injuries. Um, they don't make a trade at the deadline necessarily, but it looks like they're going to go out and get Andre Drummond. Their recent struggles have been pretty well outlined, but what, how do you think he's going to fit and maybe kind of hold serve at least until LeBron and AD come back? Well, I, look, uh, they um... – Marcus Saul has not been great for them this year. I mean, he can still pass the ball, still does something, but he he's past his prime, just is what it is. And last year in the playoffs, Dwight Howard really helped them in specific matchups. He helped them against Jokic. Uh, you're going to need a body uh, against Jokic for that matchup. Um, otherwise, their starting center position was JaVale McGee for much of last year. And, and, and in fact, they didn't reach their pinnacle until he, he was sort of moved out of the rotation. Um, so I, I do think Drummond can help them um, in, in, in giving them that replacement in the starting lineup, giving them that matchup specific guy. But I do think the Lakers at their best, it's still going to be when Anthony Davis is, is playing center. I, I think that's when they're at their most dangerous. The question is just how healthy they're going to be and, and when that will, will come to fruition. Cause I, I, that's their most versatility that spreads the floor the most for them. So I, I think Drummond is, somebody who, you know, there's a little group think against him right now as if he's a terrible player. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, so I, I think he's a, a piece of value, but at the same time, he's not this, like, he's not shifting the dynamics of the league via his addition. 
Yeah, and for the Lakers, depending on, you know, when exactly LeBron and AD do come back at full strength, I mean, the Lakers right now, they're in fourth place. They could find themselves in the back half of these eight seeds. They could be five, they could be six, seventh. So, Robin, in your opinion, does it really matter where the Lakers end up as long as LeBron and AD are 100% heading into the postseason? Yeah, uh, I mean, it does a little bit seven you have to play yourself into the playoffs <laughs> i mean it, it, that that's different than just being there right um yeah. i mean if look if lebron and 80 are healthy then i don't see them losing to any of these playing teams but it's another thing it's another matchup in the first round well it also matters where they're seated for like let's say utah or phoenix or one of these teams at the top in the clippers because if you catch the lakers in the first round that changes the dynamics of the playoffs a little bit right depending where they're at and if from the Lakers side of things, it's one more series that is a little bit more difficult. Um, ultimately, it, it all does come down to their health. Uh, I mean, that that's the, the main thing. 100%. Are they 100? If those two guys are 100% healthy, uh, they're still the favorites in the West. But there are a lot of good teams in the West. And, and these aren't little injuries. These aren't things that are like, okay, day-to-day -day kind of thing. These are significant injuries that not only are you out a period of time, but I like to have a period of time for a guy to ramp up once they get back to get comfortable, to get to hundred percent. And that's where I think my biggest concern for them is not even just whether they're, they're healed, but whether they ha are, are have to be thrown right into the, the fire and don't get that, that time to adjust and, and, and um, adapt their games and, and are, are, are playing in, in meaningful playoff games right off the, the bat where they, they don't have the, the time to have, you know, a week or two to, to get their legs on their own. So we, we just came back to, past the trade deadline. I'm curious what you think the most influential trade is going to be. When we look back and the championship is decided, what are we going to say that was the, the trade that impacted the season's outcome the most? Hmm. Uh, none of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think any of them are going to – I like – the ones that I like a lot, I like Norm Powell to Portland. Um, you know, Trent could score, but he's not the kind of guy that – was going to ever excel next to Dame and CJ. I think Norm can be that kind of guy uh, who can, who can really play well often. So I think Portland got better. I like the Evan Fournier pickup for, for Boston. Uh, it's another guy who can create for himself. I think an underrated player, um, you know, the Vucevic move to Chicago is not impacting the title picture. I didn't know how they were going to make that team better. So I, I like that move for them making the team better. I don't know if there was, I guess of all the moves that the, the biggest one from actually a championship contender status that happened on deadline day is Rondo. Uh, that's probably the one, however that winds up that will have the biggest sway. Rondo's such an interesting player because he's a net negative almost all the time uh, at this point in his career, just like a bad player, but he does have that playoff thing. And I'm not going to doubt it anymore after last year in the bubble and the way he played for the Lakers uh, and the Clippers desperately needed I, I thought they needed somebody who can get downhill. That's not exactly him, but they did need somebody to, to move, get the ball moving a little bit more for them to uh, steady the ship for them. They were bad in clutch situations and maybe a leader in a sense, like Kawhi Leonard's a great player, but he's never been that leader. Even back in Toronto, you know, that was cool, uh, Kyle Lowry. So of all the moves that happen on, on deadline day, if you're going to tell me which one could have the biggest sway on, on the, the championship aspect of it, I guess I would say Rondo because if it really works out for them, the Clippers are already on that that cusp. Um, but I, I'm I'm interested to see how that's going to work out.
Here talking with Robin Lundberg. Robin, I do want to get your thoughts on the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, excuse me. They really stood pat at the trade deadline. Uh, a contingency of fans were hoping, clamoring that they'd make a big splash. But when you consider the fact that this team is really playing with house money, essentially, I mean, everything has worked out and exceeded, I think, the expectations of those from around the league on what they thought the Knicks would be this season. When you just think about that, uh, are you surprised that the Knicks decided to just stay with what they have and, and go with that into a potential postseason berth? Uh, no. I, I, and you also have to remember, you know, just because they're not made at deadline doesn't mean moves aren't made. The, the Knicks traded for Derrick Rose, right? Just like the, the Nets got Blake Griffin off the, like the, these things happen. They just happened a few weeks earlier. Um, what were the Knicks going to do? Like the, the Knicks are not in a position I don't think they should have been mortgaging any of their, their pieces that they, they like for a, a stopgap kind of guy or, a, 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 you know, even the, this, it's different from a buyout standpoint, but the, the Drummond talk, I don't know how much he fits their timeline. Um, I, I think the Knicks, you said house money. I think that's about right. Like uh, the, the Knicks have, if you had told me the Knicks would have the record they have now before the season, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, so they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, Julius Randle. I mean, has played like a legit all-star, not like a fringe all-star, like a legit all-star. And I was not a big fan of his game last year. Um, so that's that's a that's a huge thing for that franchise. I think Emmanuel quickly um, coming through in the draft and, and looking like a viable piece is a huge thing for that franchise, especially because of the top and pick not looking so good. You know, if, if that quickly pick hadn't come through, that that would have been rough. Uh, RJ Barrett developing and, and improving has helped. So. I think that, you know, the, the Knicks are still a ways away talent wise from, from being in any real conversation, but they have exceeded any reasonable expectation and, and they, they play hard all the time. And Thibodeau has that team, like that game against Washington the other night. I, I don't think, you know, the Knicks in the past win a game like that. And that's kind of been the difference in their season is winning games like that, beating, beating the teams that are on their level or below and, 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 and not being, you know, uh, giving up on games. Um, and and I, I've been impressed by the Knicks. Now, you, you're going to want to keep building. I, I don't think, you know, you want to go on that progression and see where it takes you. Obviously, if, if a free agent winds up or a superstar player becomes available and, you, you know, you have the means to make that, that deal, go for it. But I, I don't think the Knicks really had the, the pieces to pull off anything crazy uh, on the trade market. And therefore, making a move to make a move doesn't make sense to me. My question's about Obi Toppin because we're Fordham guys. We saw him in the A-10 last year as the best player in college basketball and was going to be a number one seed if the tournament happens uh, with Dayton. Now he's struggled uh, pretty mightily, actually. So do you see a potential for, for – obviously there's a potential for growth, but my, I guess my question is do you see him going more the R.J. Barrett route where, yeah, he struggled early, but he got better, got better, got better, and now he's – uh, one of the better players on the team or a Frank Nielakina, Kevin Knox route where every time they put him out there, it, it just feels like they're, they're wasting time. I think it's concerning. Uh, I, I'll never write off somebody this early in their career. That's not fair. Um, but the difference between RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin is what was RJ Barrett, 19 years old, 18 years old, something, yeah. you know, and Obi Toppin's 23. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, his game isn't exactly as NBA, uh, modern NBA friendly either. I mean, Barrett, you needed him to improve his jump shot. And it looks like he is improving, especially from three a little bit, but he was always going to be like a, a dribble drive guy from the outside, maybe draw the defense, kick it, that kind of thing. 
Toppin is more of a big, but what does he do well? Like, I mean, you're not going to post him up, right? Defensively, he looks like a, um, there's going to be issues there. Uh, as far as uh, offense, he, he passes the ball all right, but he's not beating anybody off the dribble. He's not a, a top-level shooter. He looks kind of lost out there. I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's concerning right now, the, you know, where, where he's been at. Uh, and considering he should have been an already developed player coming in, um, you know, because usually you don't stick around in, in college that long if you're a surefire prospect, right? Uh, and, and the case for him would have been, all right, he's already ready. You know, he's got that level of athleticism, throw him into the fire. The fact that he doesn't look ready where he's at, it, it, it's not the end. It's not, I wouldn't write him off, but I haven't quite seen the skill set or the reasons to think, um, you know, it, it's going to go in the right direction. And, and that's why I think you have to be happy that the, the quickly pick turned out because your, your perception would be a little different if those were reversed, if they actually pick quickly where they pick Toppin. And you'd go, oh, oh, you know, he's working out. And then, the top, oh, who cares? This is where he, he was later in the draft. You, you win some, you lose some. I think it's where he was drafted. Uh, and considering that, like, Halliburton came later, that 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 is going to make that stand out a bit more. And before we get you out of here, Robin, I, I want to get your opinion on something that I thought about leading into our show the night before. And that's Coach of the Year. And there's so many candidates when you think about Quinn Snyder, Monty Williams in the West. But I also think that both – Tom Thibodeau and Steve Nash should be in the conversation. But in your opinion, who do you think has the stronger case to win coach of the year, Steve Nash or coach Tibbs? That's a good question. Um, it's a good question. Steve Nash has done a great job. I, I love Steve Nash. I love his demeanor and everything about him. And, and he's dealt with, you know, uh, some stuff this season, but ultimately if you were going to make the case that James Harden is the MVP, then am I also going to make the coach? case that Steve Nash is the coach of the year and Kyrie Irving's also had an excellent season I, I know he hasn't played every game but he's he's been there for the majority of the season KD has been out for the majority of the season so I think I would go with Thibodeau because again I I, I didn't see this next team coming at all I thought they would be one of the worst teams in the league to be quite clear and the, they're much better than that <laughs> you know they're they're uh you know, middle class right now, right? Like they're, you know, they're, I don't think anybody takes them, you know, seriously come to the playoffs or anything like that, but, but they're a tough out on any given night and, and they play tough. They play hard. They've exceeded expectation. They've developed some players in the process. Um, so between the development we've seen from Randall and, and from quickly as a rookie and the uh, level of play we've seen and, and Barrett developing the level of play we've seen from the Knicks, I, I think it's tips. There you go. There you have it, folks. He is a senior host, Sports Illustrated. You can catch him on CBS Sports Radio Saturday mornings from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Also the host of Full Court on Flatbush, Brooklyn Nets podcast for the New York Post alongside former Net, Kerry Kittles. He is Robin Lundberg. Robin, appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us here on One on One. You got it, guys. Have a good one.